Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Jose Canseco Cast, a podcast about baseball legend Jose Canseco, with your hosts Jeff May and Adam Todd Brown. Hey everybody! Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Jose Cansecast, baby. Bienvenidos, everybody! Your foremost Jose Canseco themed podcast. I would argue that that is one hundred percent probably correct. I can't imagine that there are a lot of Cansecasts out there in the potosphere. I doubt it. I don't. But, yeah, I think we're probably on the cutting edge of this one. And if there are, it's probably like a sports network. Yeah, like thing. I was say ESPN. Has yeah, one. which we're like, like shout out, fucking- shout out to Brett Raider. He's amazing. Yeah, over there at Yahoo Sports. But sports podcasts from a sports network are going to be yeah. a totally different thing. That being said, if they want to buy this podcast, absolutely, we will sell it to Yahoo Sports for what essentially is a very sellouty bargain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like just enough to like just. pay rent for a few months, probably. If that. If that. If that. Yeah. To pay yeah. for dinner for a few nights. And really. you can capitalize on this for the rest of your life. We can. Exploit us like a Motown artist, Yahoo <laughs> yeah, Sports. We, I will 100% give up the entire miniseries for what is roughly two to $300. <laughs> so in. Just, we're just a little it's a good day's work for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. But actually, it's more than a lot of work, a day's work, because we, we're going to be focusing on sort of the sweet spot of Jose Canseco's yes. baseball career. We're going to be talking about sort of his post-rookie year because last episode we focused a lot on sort of the early years, which that it runs a little dry. It does. But we're doing sort of a retrospective on what we would consider the Bash Brothers era. Right. The, eight, the late 80s and the early 90s era and primarily focusing on what we have gleaned from online research, but also from you and I both read Juiced. Right. The last episode was primarily the stuff in it was drawn from newspaper and magazine articles from around the time. Primary historical resources, as we say in the educational world. And we could still have done that. We looked at some stuff for this episode, but this episode we're digging into juiced. You know what I ended up researching a lot for this episode, which I wasn't surprised, which I was surprised I was going to do? Mark McGuire. Oh, sure. I looked up a lot of Mark McGuire. Yeah. Because... I wanted to know what he's doing at this time. What is he doing? At this time, uh, he's working with the Padres currently as of 2018 or 2019, I forget. Hitting coach for them. What's he know about hitting? Right? Well, he was a hitting coach for the Cardinals. Yeah. Like, right? He retired and they're like, we're going to bring him in. Yeah. Because, yes, why wouldn't you? And we'll talk more about why. You know, it's more than just roids and runs at that point in time. But Mark McGuire at this time, at the time where Canseco because I don't want to say too much because we're about to talk about yeah, Jose well, Canseco and sort of the understandable chip that sort of rests itself on his shoulder throughout what seems like his career. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a flip of the coin as to which, is it going to land heads or tails as to how he himself is going to view this era? Right. Because it is very hot or cold. And even in the book Juice, which I would suggest it's an interesting book. What'd you think about it? It's like you said when we first texted back and forth about it, clearly written by Jose Canseco. That's true. There is no ghost writing happening here. It reads, and the way I think I texted it to you is it reads like almost like a a high schooler's book report. Kind of, yeah. And in a way that somebody who hasn't spent his life writing 
is then writing a New York Times bestseller. Right. That fascinates me. And it's it's written in a way that someone who goes to great lengths to make himself seem like he's this shy yeah. outsider who's not really sure of himself at several points very self-aggrandizing and just flies right in the face of all of that which is i think interesting and i think also indicative of when he chose to write a chapter i honestly do feel like there is a certain point of both p- things being very true i oh, think yeah. he is a very a very interpersonally shy person like i th- do feel that way and at the same time being aware of your public persona and your Adonis-like reputation and being photographed shirtless yeah. for so many publications and, and everything right. like that. Like, you can't, and there's, you can be shy and not, and be aware that you're hot. Yeah, and there there's points he makes in here that we'll get to that are almost kind of uncomfortable to disagree with or question. Yeah, well, uh, because it's his experiences. It's his experience, and Jose Canseco, at the end of the day, is still a person of color. And it's hard for me as a white dude viewing all of this from the perspective of a fan in the 80s and now a person who's looking back on all of it now. It's hard for me to really be like, okay, you might be overstating it there a little bit. But I feel like in some spots... It's not the math fits in that there are certain ingredients that are 100% true. Whether you are exaggerating or not those ingredients, it's an immeasurable thing. Because we can't actually say. Yeah, I can't. Because what it really comes down to is a lot of like the reputation that one gets with Jose. And he's just like, they did it. They did it. They, you know, I got kind of buried because I'm Cuban. And it's like. Yeah. And we'll, maybe a little bit because sh- of that. Sure. Your average Milwaukee baseball fan isn't going to be like, you know who I like is that Jose Casejo. Like, they're not going to do that. But, but at the same time, if he time, played he for was, Milwaukee, he was selling posters. Yeah, and well, I was a fan. Well, I'll put it this way: I was a huge fan in an all-white town in Massachusetts. Yeah. So, like, I mean, from my personal perspective, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Yeah, but, but we'll, we'll get to. But it. it sure is. Anyway, so the intro to Juice. The intro to Juice <laughs> is one of the craziest fucking things I've ever read in my life. I started reading it and immediately texted you. Yeah. Right. And I was like, holy shit, this starts in such a curveball because you think it's going to be a tell all. Right. This book is not a tell all. It is. But it's this book is 33 percent autobiography, 33 percent tell all and then 33 percent infomercial about drugs, about the benefits of of steroids. steroids. And it's threaded throughout the whole. And there's even a disclaimer at the beginning that says this book is not meant to promote the use of steroids. And I read that and thought, oh, that's... That's an editor's... That's a healthy thing to put in there considering the subject matter. And then you read the intro right after that yeah. preface. And it's like, yes, it is. It reads like Jose Canseco thought steroids were about to become a thing Huge. you could buy at Walgreens. Yeah. And he wanted to be at the forefront of that industry. I'm going to say he's not wrong in that as well. I honestly yeah. think, look at where how far weed has come when the responsibility factor and the and the taxation factor really comes in. I don't think he's 100% wrong. I do think he's 80% wrong. Yeah. But, and over-the-counter shit, 
it happens all the time, but he's like, steroids uh, will preserve people's lives. It will create stronger muscles in people. And first and foremost, and I've said this before, HGH sounds amazing. Yeah, like kind of. Like HGH, because he says, it, he was like, you know, the steroids and the this and the androstene and the, that. And then he's like, you know, it makes the muscles big. And he's like, an HGH is kind of awesome. There's no downsides to it. And is HGH, is that illegal? Or is that a thing? No, like, it's used people in can, medicine. Yeah, people can go out and just do it hgh sounds fucking dope and like the way you inject it is you he's like you just grab a pinch a little bit of belly fat stick a little syringe in there shoot it up yeah and i was like i could do that <laughs> yeah the stuff about steroids in the beginning one of the things that i was struck by reading this is if nothing else it kind of lessened my belief that jose canseco is one of the greatest pure baseball players of all time but i am convinced he is one of the greatest and most knowledgeable steroid users of all time. 100%. A man of science in the field of yeah. body body sculpting, I it's guess. It's kind of like Rocky Four, where Rocky's dragging fucking logs through the woods and Ivan Drago's hooked up to computers and injecting steroids. And it's like, yeah, pretty similar result. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because- Can't I, inject heart in a lab, unfortunately. Russia. Can inject lab into a heart, though. <laughs> so this book, written around 2004. Mm-hmm. published in 2005 right right now i've listened to things retroactively and leaning i've watched and listened to things about about and featuring jose canseco where he addresses this book this book was written primarily out of spite and it's fascinating because he was and he mentions it in the book he was blackballed and he didn't realize he was being fully blackballed until the dodgers had an open tryout and he had a good tryout and then they pulled him aside and they said, we literally can't use you. Right. And he was like, oh, okay. Major League Baseball has made me this scapegoat because he's the fucking, I love how he says he likes to refer to himself as like the doctor kind of guy that introduces steroids to everybody. Uh, yeah. Then, but he gets offended when people call him the typhoid Mary of yeah. steroids. But and, it's like, that's the same thing, dude. And he spends a lot of time wondering why he gets all the attention for using steroids early on in his career, which is kind of what we'll, we're going to get more into the steroid talk around the time when he was yeah. playing on the next episode. But he wonders why that is. And it's like, dude, you're writing a book about how you were the guy to go to in baseball yeah. about steroids. You got everyone addicted. Yeah, they're going to take you down first. But at the same time, you also made baseball more interesting significant like it's funny because we've talked about this a lot of time with amphetamines and the greenies being the thing that people go to but like fucking without steroids you weren't going to have 98 right and 98 which was sosa and mcguire fighting for the single season home run record that is what brought baseball yeah. back because that strike which we did an episode of the 90s sucked about destroyed baseball that year by the way jose canseco 50 home runs <laughs> yeah like it's well, that's so funny because we look at it as being like it these two it's like Conseco's like i was injured and i hit 50 yeah like, he was like i missed a lot of games true and, story i wish camera phones existed at the time i wouldn't have even thought to film it but i was on the phone with a girl that i was trying to date when mark mcguire hit the home run to either tie or break i think to break the record yeah. and i was on the phone and as the pitch was thrown, I went, he's going to hit the home run right now. And he fucking hit the home run. And I still never dated that girl. 
She doesn't like a know-it-all. Yeah, I guess so. it probably freaked her out that, yeah, that I was so happen, yeah. so prescient and that I was able to foretell the future. Just a glimmer of things to yeah. come. So you calling a home run led you to strike out. Wow. You like see it's what really there. Ooh. Ooh. So, so back to Jose Canseco. Okay. Well, so Jose has said in an interview, there's an interview that I listened to. It's it's sort of a preface to a longer interview, but he says once I am told right before because he he had to like he left baseball right before he hit 500 home runs he was about maybe 30 away yeah and he's just like i was i think blackballed because people didn't like me well i think he's got a pretty strong case also absolutely he would have been productive he even said he's like i told people i'd work for the league minimum right and they're like "Mm, and we know that happens in sports colin kaepernick is absolutely being blackballed right now yeah. In or was the NFL was earlier, at least. Yeah. Uh, do you think he could make it now? I mean, he's yeah, he was certainly he's expressed that, that he still wants to play. Yeah. And there is definitely room for him in the league, especially the way offenses have evolved in the past couple seasons. There was a point where his style of play sort of fell out of favor, but that's not the case anymore. It's come back. Yeah, it's back to a point where um, Kaepernick would work. And I think Jose Canseco has a case that he was blackballed. Just if you look at his production. He was. He was 100% blackballed. Like, I think his last season, he still hit 30-some home runs. He's like, if the Patriots had a baseball team, they would have taken him. Like, that's the kind of a thing. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And especially in the American League, where you have the designated hitter, there are few better candidates than Jose Canseco. No, he should have been the Astros when they shifted to the AL. Right. Could have really benefited from a guy who can hit a home run every 10 at bats or something like yeah. that. Like honestly, like that's a real thing. Yeah. That production. So ownership it, is knowing that they will face sort of almost social penalties for that. Yeah. But that's a theme you see throughout this book, at least as far as I've gotten into it. I read about a hundred pages of it yesterday. He makes a lot of great points, but also there are points that have counterpoints to them. Yeah, there that are, are there are caveats. They're that, weighted points. Yeah, that I don't know if he even realizes he writes into the book no. himself. You can tell these chapters are written day to day, and each day there is a very flip or flop view to how that went. And right, I can only imagine what the editor did Oof. for this book. I bet this book was fifteen hundred pages before it was edited. Now I don't want to jump forward too far ahead but there was an amc i believe special maybe not amc but like learning channel or discovery or something about him coming off of steroids i think it was a and e yes and he says this book ruined his life in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine he's like i may have been down when i wrote the book but i'm so much worse because i did oh yeah and it was probably a really good payday for him at the time, yeah. Like, sure. The advance alone and sales. Right. Like, sales were nuts. This was a huge book. But you also have to kind of see his fellow player's point in that you're the guy who, in your own words, because I don't even know if that's 100% yeah. true. You got us hooked, and now you're snitching us out. Jose yeah. Canseco portrays himself as the guy who made steroids a thing in baseball. He says godfather. 
Right. Because he does kind of come off as a guy that would have like a Godfather poster he bought at the mall. Oh, for one sure. One of those like colored pencil looking ones. <laughs> yeah. You know the ones I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Next to a Scarface. Right. And he portrays himself as that. And then he's also the guy who's telling on everybody years later, people aren't going to fucking respond to that. Especially if you're pushing the idea that steroids are a good and helpful thing that aren't really that big of a health problem, well, then why are you out here snitching? Yeah, it's funny, too, because the snitching, the real snitching is, like, the end, where he just, like, names, and he just drops them off there. But there's also shit he does where he says stuff. Like, did you get the part about players cheating on their wives? Oh, yeah, I, got, just, I like, just got he's to that like, part. Yeah. Roger Clemens is the only person I ever met that didn't fool around on his wife. Yeah, like, imagine being anyone but yeah. Roger Clemens. Imagine being Ruben Sierra. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck, man? But he's like, man. And then he yeah. talks about like Mark Grace fucking ugly girls, a slump buster. Yeah, I didn't get to that part because that's going to be the next episode. We're going to yeah. get past the because we still haven't really. No, we haven't. All we've said is the intro to Juiced is insane. And we've really gone on a tangent. But yeah. it is because it's a it's a goddamn infomercial for drugs. It sure is. It's 100 percent an infomercial. Yeah for drugs so he opens with the dive back into his childhood which we kind of discussed earlier we kind of covered more, it it's a little more in depth but there's very much a subjective viewpoint of how he was treated by his father he makes his father seem very emotionally abusive yeah in that like withholding and that that's one thing we didn't mention on the last episode and i think it's important because so much of him using steroids is tied to the fact that his mother died but reading this book, it feels to me more like he's trying to impress his father. It's definitely a part of it. Yeah. There's no way you can ignore that, you know? Yeah. He keeps coming back to it so many different times throughout the book. Yeah. He doesn't forget about it. And he mentions an incident where when he was playing with the Texas Rangers, he hit three home runs, had five hits, eight RBIs in a 17 to nine win over the Mariners. And he calls his dad after and his dad asks about the at bats where he struck out or didn't get a hit. And that is shitty to an extent, but also if you hear any really elite athlete talk about wins and performances like that, that's kind of what they're going to say yeah, is like, I miss those two at bats. Yeah. Or, I really could have done better. Like I need to correct some mistakes I made, but yeah, otherwise pretty good game. There's a fascinating aspect to that too, which also A's defense 17, nine isn't as impressive as you want to pretend. Cause you gave up nine runs, right? Come on. Yeah. But, no one was doing their job that day, but there is that. And I think in general, this is going to sound unfortunate. I try not to inflate the amount of attention I didn't get from my father. Right. You know, cause like, yeah, man, I got daddy issues too. Well, I mean, my dad died when I was 17. So yeah. You know, I get and, it. You know, it's, it's a weird thing, but like, I'm very like, yeah, my dad wasn't around, but he tried to be, he just had to work really hard. Like he did his best, but like, I think we do really remember the hard stuff more. Yeah. And there are even other people quoted in this book who are of the opinion that, Hey man, your dad was there. Yeah. Like he was at all he your practices. Your games giving you shit. Uh, would have been nice. He was there when you went home after practices. It could have been worse. But also, 
in 2019, it's hard to take that stand on it when it's Jose Canseco saying things like, this is a quote about the phone call with his dad. I was dumbstruck. I felt like saying, gee, I don't know. I was probably still out of breath for my three home runs. I don't think I was ever good enough for him. That's going to stick with a person. He's the tiger dad. Yeah. Honestly, and you hate to say it, but some of the most productive and successful people in the world have shitty, right? shitty, micromanagey parents. Yeah, and it's tempting tempting for someone on our side to go, but argue with the results. Whereas Jose Canseco is probably like, I could have just taken steroids like I did. And he's like, I probably figured it out. I got those results and my life is not great right now. Yeah. That shit does a lot to you more than just fucking getting huge arms. Right. There's well at long after your baseball career is over, you're carrying the injuries of parental neglect or abuse. Yeah. Emotionally, you know, I feel like that is I wanted to bring it up because it, it was a thing we didn't talk about on the episode about his childhood. Yeah. There is a real lack of confidence that he at least tries to portray. Well, I think he also brings that up with the sort of not being treated well and saying like, oh, I'm a victim, so I'm not very confident. It's hard to say that he addresses that he has no confidence. And then in the next chapter, he's just like, check out this car I got. Right. There's a chapter about his cars. Yeah. It's a great chapter. too, And we'll talk about it, too, because it's a weirdly placed chapter. It's sort of like remember in Shakespearean tragedies when you'd have a comedy in the middle of it to like ease the pressure yeah that's kind of what that chapter is and as i was reading the book i was like the fuck because it yeah it's not called gassed i went into that chapter like this surely isn't going to be all about your cars is it did you flip a car with your bare arms (laughs) did your wife bash your car up with a baseball bat yeah no you just had awesome cars right you just brought pretty straightforward just drove your friends in your good cars there's a chapter about me buying a bunch of cars Right, but after, I think ugh, we'll get but to th- it. But that, yeah, we will get to that. Yeah, the lack of confidence thing. One thing he brings up in particular that I don't doubt. Well, we know this story happened. He at one point is in the Oakland A's organization, and this player was drafted in the first round, and Jose Canseco is drafted in the fifteenth round, and they're now on the same team, and he has a conflict with this yeah, first like round an aggressive tag draft pick yeah. yeah and the management the team manager takes the first round draft pick side and not only that but relegates jose canseco to the role of bat boy for the next yeah. few days and, and he almost quits and then he one almost of the, quits one and of then, the manager one of the coaches is just like they're trying to see how you handle bullshit and that's what keeps him right is that it's almost like a character building hazing yeah like it's the best way that jose portrays it i think right and he brings up well i'm cuban and that guy's white and so that's why they sided with him and it's like yes that's probably part of it but also he's a first round draft pick and you're a 15th round draft they invested a lot of money in this guy they're going to side with the person they invested more money in and the bat boy thing If you're not a sports fan, that's going to sound a lot more aggressive than it is because hazing, especially hazing of rookies, has been very common. Yeah. And one of my favorite sports stories, and I don't even know how much hazing of rookies even still happens, 
because of this, when Des Bryant was signed by the Dallas Cowboys, his first season in training camp, at one point, one of the defensive linemen was like, carry my pads, rookies carry pads. And Des Bryant was like, no, that's not what I'm here for, dude. And he didn't carry the pads. So I don't know, and we're in a era now where hazing is highly frowned upon. But at the time, it's not like they beat him with bars of soap. Like, you're Bat Boy for a couple days. They're trying to fuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. But it does also glean, you can glean from that the idea that Jose does carry this chip on his shoulder where wrongdoing will often be attributed to, well, this is the institutional racism of baseball. Which, not wrong, but it's also not the 40s. Right. There have been players at that level. Well, that's the thing. He talks about at so many points like, oh, do you think baseball really wants a Cuban as a star in the league? And it's like. Yeah, if it's a star, a star. Yeah. They can sell posters and jerseys and they'll sell anything. Like if any sport has been very welcoming of Latino players been baseball it's been dominated by yeah uh, yeah players and even at that time like fernando valenzuela was huge yeah baseball has a pretty rich tradition of not just embracing latino players but people of color in general the thing starting around well well, yeah starting balls had a rocky yeah yeah has had a rocky past sure let's say modern era yeah, baseball. although I will say it is funny that you look at what baseball is now when teams are generally 40 to 60% people from South Central America and the islands versus it was dominantly black and white at the time, but it's also like there were black players that were world famous. Well, yeah, Willie Mays, like, Hank Aaron. Yeah, like you can't deny that. And that's a huge problem in baseball now. Yeah. There are, I think, something like point eight percent of the league is black players now tory hunter is trying to fix that yeah i mean it needs to be fixed it's crazy he does the rbi initiative the reinvigorating baseball in inner cities yeah because baseball is an expensive it's the second most expensive sport behind hockey yeah for for youth to play i mean the you know look at soccer and look at friggin' basketball where you're just like yeah, here. those are cheap sports to play. Yeah, here even that and football generally pads are provided by teams. So yeah. like with baseball, you got to get your own glove, you got to get your own half time, half your you get your own bat. Yeah, cleats. So yeah, he he talks about stuff like that, and it's, again, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, but also it's like any book about a subject like this. There's gonna be if you dig into it, you'll find other potential perspectives to take on it because there's another incident that comes up later where he makes the 86 all-star team yeah and then the manager doesn't play him at all in the all-star game which that to me would be a thing where i'd be like what the fuck like i'm one of the bit like is this because i'm cuban or because i'm gonna fuck madonna in three years like what's happening had no brain yeah, and the entire Cuban community's um, reasoning they, they behind were, it is, well, that manager had brain cancer. Yeah, he had he, he had no brain. But that was also an old older manager too, right? Like he was. He did actually, guy. Dick um, Hauser. He did actually have brain cancer at the time. He did. He uh, managed that game, but he was also older at the time, right? So there's part of it where you could be like, he also could have been a little racist. Yeah, like, yeah, and also Jose was very young. Right. He was a baby at the time. Yeah, he was super young. He would have been 20... 23. 23, probably. 23 or 24, yeah. yeah. 
I can't stress enough how pro steroids this book is. There is little to no, according to this book, it's not a lot of drawbacks to steroids. Yeah, very now, few. In that documentary that I watched, he's like, I'm dealing with a lot of shit from steroids now, like coming off of it because your body stops producing its own testosterone. So he's writing this book at a time when he is still taking steroids. Right. He's like, shit's great. (laughs) And when you try coming off of it after doing it for 30 years, almost, there's going to be some reactions. Going to be some problems. Yeah. Going to have totes probs, bro. And what's interesting to me is that he brings up steroids in a way that kind of undoes some of the points he makes later in the book. And that's why it's so obvious. I can't stress this again, that it's, you can see his mood per chapter of what he was like the day he wrote it. Right. That's fascinating to me. I've never seen that before in a book. Yeah. Like I've literally, and I swear, because I don't read. No, um, (laughs) but I've literally never seen a book where you can be so sure of what a person's day was like than juiced. It's fucking fascinating. There's a reason he wrote a middle of the book chapter about cars. Yeah. Because that was the thing that was just on his mind that day. And he was like, I think I'll talk about the cars. Like, it's so nuts. Because some days he's like, I was very good. I worked really hard. I was very diligent about this. I studied the statistics and the probability of hitting. I was very scientific about this. And other times he's like, steroids made me huge and that's why I was successful. Yeah. It very much depends on what he was feeling that day, which tracks with the personality that he has had and continues to have. And probably the, we've always heard a person taking steroids. There's emotional roller coasters. And I feel like maybe we're seeing that. He literally says, I've never seen emotional roller coasters the way people describe roid rage. Mm. He he says that in the book. He's like, I don't understand. And the people say roid rage. I've never seen or experienced that. Huh. And there's part of it because he talks later about going to jail for stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you've been in jail a couple times. Yeah. Well, one of the things he talks about when we mention how pro steroids this is, at one point he talks about the 1985 season, which was the he played part of that season in the major leagues. Yeah. And he mentions that between double A, triple A and the majors, he hit 40 home runs and had 140 RBIs. And now this is the season where he starts taking steroids the season before he did all right. Yeah. Also, it's great that the two chapters are bookended by David Wells quotes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is a quote from him talking about that 85 season. And I can tell you now, steroids were the key to it all. And then he goes into a bunch of tips and tricks about how to take steroids properly. There are probably six different portions of the book that just explains how to inject steroids into your ass. Oh, yeah. It's crazy because just like you gotta have somebody else do it unless me because i was really good at it the line of honesty every time he does what people refer to as like the snitching it's clearly very honest the veil of honesty is really when you're trying to discern what is true about him telling you about his background and his personal experiences that don't involve putting a needle in mcguire's ass right or calling giambi like a toad looking motherfucker basically <laughs> for doing it wrong. Yeah. And he, I just mentioned that 85 season and him mentioning that it's all related to steroids. This episode is mostly about the bash brothers and yeah. about Mark McGuire. And that's Ma- what the plan was. Yeah. Well, no, we're going to, we're getting there. Yeah. Mark McGuire joins in 1987 as a rookie and fucking 
dominates. Dominates. 49 home runs. 49 record, home runs. A record that will last until 2017, I want to say, for a rookie. Oh, who broke? It was uh, somebody hit like 52. Um, Someone came, cl- a rookie came close to breaking it this season, too. Yeah, because like it was 2017 or 2018. Because like I said, I was researching McGuire a lot because of this. Like I wanted to learn more about he himself because there's a revelation that Jose Canseco has. And that's generally that they were not friends. friends. Right. They were visible. Aaron Judge hit 52 Aaron for the Judge. Yankees in 2017. Yeah, that's a feat. It's pretty good. So McGuire, we we saw the posters and the videos and the Lonely Island special. Have you watched that, by the way? Yeah, it's pretty great. It's fucking amazing. That you see they were packaged as the Bash Brothers. And when it really comes down is Jose was like, yeah, we were teammates. Like, we weren't really friends. But then it cuts to, like, can you really not be friends with somebody you're going into a bathroom stall with and injecting in the ass with steroids? Yeah. Or is that a sour grapesy thing but it also makes sense because mcguire was doing like the family man kind of thing at the time yeah it makes sense that they wouldn't be i feel like there is some degree of awe when it comes to jose canseco and mark mcguire because mark mcguire was such a natural baseball talent Mm -hmm. jose canseco says mcguire had one of the best if not the best right-handed power swings I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. He had a fascinating, his stance, his uh, batting stance was always fascinating too. His heel was like facing the pitcher. Yeah. Like he had that like up and then he would really kind of pivot. It's very much like a boxing punch. Right. That pivot is so crucial in getting your hips and your body behind everything. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me to see that translate. And it, I can picture a world where their bond was mainly steroids and i feel like something like being in awe of someone is something that can turn to being jealous of someone really quick sure and and i think you see a degree of jealousy in this book yes there's also interesting things about mcguire like when you look at a lot of photos of them jose was always very visibly ripped he would like wear a lot of sleeveless things and tank tops and mcguire looked like he was trying to not call attention to it Right. Like almost like he knew like, you know, it's like if you're speeding and you see a cop, you're like, I'm going to slow down. I don't want people to know that I'm doing a crime that he would like kind of cover his arms a bit because there's several instances in the book where people are like, damn, Jose, look at them arms. And he's like, McGuire's arms are bigger than mine. Right. He said McGuire had the biggest arms I've ever seen on a ball player, but he didn't call attention to them. Yeah. So stop calling attention to your huge arms. Yeah. Like Jose Canseco. Part of it is that you're fucking rolling your sleeves up because you've earned those arms, but you did. Right. You did. You did inject for him. And McGuire's kind of quiet. And also he questions why McGuire doesn't get as much attention for using steroids. And he asked this question about an article that's written in 1988. Well, the answer is because the 1987 season that Mark McGuire hit 49 home runs, you are on record in this book saying he didn't take steroids. Yeah. He didn't take steroids until 88. So even if he was just starting to take steroids, yeah, still building. your accomplishments up to that point are the ones that are in question, not his. There's a fascinating, by the way, a couple of segments 
in the Maguire stuff that I've heard, which is that uh, they refer to him as a right-handed batter and thrower. Maguire stood six feet, five inches tall and weighed 245 pounds during his playing career. He did not weigh 245 pounds in 1987 or 1988 or 1989. It's going to take a minute. Right. For him, his bulk really hits in 1997, 98, 99, when he's getting batting titles and knocking home runs out. And see, that's the thing. This part could be a little bit of revisionist history on Jose Canseco's part, because he's like, oh, well, Mark McGuire just hit his arms. All right, well, there's a whole middle section of this book that's just pictures. I'm talking about the hiding his arms. Jose never mentions it. No, he does. Oh, does Jose he? Jose Canseco oh. mentions in the book that Mark McGuire would wear big shirts to hide how bulky he was getting. And it's like, is that true? Or was he just not getting bulky enough in the span of a couple months of taking steroids for people to be questioning him in 1988? Or was he being fashionable at the time? Yeah. Exactly. His clothing was hitting really good around the Yeah, time. he was dressing like Lenny Kravitz. Get off his case. Yeah. A lot of flowing scarves covering his biceps. There's a lot about the Bash Brothers concept that really lands because Jose plays himself out as being sort of the shy kind of like, I'm not like that. And he's like, you know, he wouldn't. Maguire got all the attention. And it's like, I remember you getting all the attention. Maguire got all the attention in 98. Right. Maguire didn't get all the attention in 88 and 89. He got some Because he was great, but you too got the attention, both of you. Yeah, he talks about Maguire getting so, and it's another thing, another thing that bothers me about not just him questioning why Mark Maguire is getting more attention, but also his assertion that no one around this time wanted a Cuban to be the best baseball player. You won the fucking MVP in 88. Yeah. Sports writers vote on that. Yeah. Your peers vote on that. Do you believe that he ran a 3.94? No. Because he, he mentions that at one point in time. And I'm like, sure, you were fast as fuck, but like it's, 3.9. I was watching ESPN. I don't remember what show a while back. And they were talking about a pretty big, I think, quarterback who ran like a 4.2. And the guy was like, you think anyone's ever going to run under four? And they were like, no. Yeah. So it's like, come yeah. on. You did not. Jose is, I think he is honest in this book. I think his interpretation of honesty of events kind of shifts a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think there's any, I don't think he's being dishonest realistically during much of this book. If any, I really honestly think he might be convincing himself that things played out the way they did, but his personal experiences are very visible and he, depending on the day he wrote the chapter, will go from, I was the greatest baseball player in the world to nobody cared about me. Right. And it's like, people cared, man. Yeah, it does sort you're right. It does come off as he's writing this book in response to how he's feeling that day. Yeah, there are manic chapters. Yeah. And then there are chapters that are clearly depressive. Right. You know, like you hate to use those phrases because I'm not a doctor, but there are manic chapters in this. Oh, yeah. And, and they're, we're going to talk the about car one. one. The second. car one is just. Yeah. There's a quote in here that I loved. The media dubbed us the Bash Brothers, but we were really the Royd boys. You know, he thought about that. <laughs> you know, he thought that he was out and he was like, hold on, I got to write. He wrote I'm going to go mow the lawn wrote, and think about this. He wrote that on a napkin. <laughs> and then he's like, that one's going to be the one. That's going to be the one they quote in the New York Times. The Royd boys. They, they, the media. You were the Bash Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a cool name. 
Yeah. I think that it comes as a shock that they weren't friends because that's just sort of the perception the public always has about people who work together. Or people who are in a band and people are surprised to find out, you know, bands don't just like hang out together all the time when they're not touring or recording. Sometimes they they need a break. Yeah, they have their personal lives and they go off and do their own thing and they're not always the best of friends. They have families. (laughs) Yeah. I also, side note, I loved how he's like writing about his relationship with other members of the A's and he essentially was just like Carney Lansford. You know, Carney Lansford kind of comes off as the dude that was like, he was going bow hunting. Yeah. But I love that because I forgot about Carney Lansford. Yeah. And it came off as kind of like, you can tell there's still some bad blood. He's like, that guy didn't like me and I didn't like him. And it comes off as kind of like almost like Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame acceptance speech. You ever hear that? It's not good. It is quintessential petty. It is one of the pettiest things. And it's just him like calling out Jerry Reinsdorf and all these people. And everyone's in the audience like, okay. Yeah, yeah. well, he was the greatest basketball player. That doesn't translate to greatest. Yeah, this doesn't feel necessary. And that Carney Lansford thing, it's like, let it go, Jose. Yeah, although I get why he, because Carney Lansford was one of the top players at the time of the team. It was what, Dave Clark. It was... uh, Dennis Eckersley. Yeah, he talks about Eckersley and being smooth as shit, basically. Being this uh, like a 70s style pitcher. and Dennis Eckersley was dope. I fucking love Dennis Eckersley. Yeah. Like he's still, he does color for Nesson for uh, the Red Sox. Yeah. He's been like one of their color guys for a long time. He was a cub for a while. Yeah, he's Fucking love him. Oh, he's fucking great. He also, he really pumps up Ricky Henderson, Mm. which... Ricky, Ricky Henderson. Henderson seems like a good dude. Ricky Henderson was the Willie Mays Hayes of Willie Mays Hayes basically based off of Ricky Henderson's right. um, abilities between Ricky Henderson and also at the time later on Otis Nixon, who we found out later was just railing on Coke the whole time. Sure. But Ricky Henderson widely considered probably the fastest. Yeah. The fastest man in baseball. Right. Right. There's not. And played till he was like 45. He, yeah. He, he was crazy. playing. He was playing in, in the minors forever. Yeah. Like, he was unbelievable. That's another rookie card that was worth a bit of coin if you could get your hand 82? on. 1980. 80. 80 rookie. He's running in, in the photo, too. Man. Yeah. He's- yeah, Ricky Henderson, when I say he seems like he's probably a pretty great guy, there's that really famous story about the first million-dollar check he ever got. And how the team issued it to him. And like a year later, accounting was like, Ricky Henderson hasn't cashed that check. And he was like, oh, yeah, I framed it. I'll get another one. How fucking crazy just is that? void and get yeah, it back. Yeah, or- like just fucking take a picture on your 1980s phone and <laughs> send it to the bank. There is a uh, there's this wonderful story of uh, when Manny Ramirez was working with the Red Sox. And uh, he just didn't cash checks. So they'd be backed up like months and months. (laughs) And they literally had to call him and be like, dude, you need to cash. And he would just have stacks of checks in his place. (laughs) Must be nice. Yeah. I mean, it's Manny being Manny. But like, that is such a weird, like he would just have checks for like $300,000, just stacks of them. That's insane. Wonder if he's still got any, if we can get one. We should kill Manny Ramirez and take his money. That's not a bad idea. We should rob him. So... There's this part where Jose really brings sort of the jealousy and competition out. And there's a quote um, that we have here where he goes, uh, we hung out here and there, but Mark didn't like to go out with me because the girls wouldn't pay any attention to him. (laughs) They would all pay attention to me. 
That was mostly because of Mark. He was never the best looking guy in the world. He felt awkward and out of place at clubs. Plus, he could never talk. I was quiet too, but compared to Mark, I was a social dynamo. Mac just didn't like to go out because it felt like he was being overshadowed. He was married at the time. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that I don't think really translated. Because Jose addressed yeah. it later that Clemens was the only guy I never saw cheat on his wife. But at the same time, Maguire got married in like 87, I want to say. Right. And so in that regard. Maybe that's why he wasn't such a poon hound at the club. Yeah, you didn't fuck the way I fucked. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he sure didn't. And, and that's you know probably what? got something to do with why he didn't want to go out. Yeah, it's... A, happens. Yeah, it's, it's a real... See, he was married from 1984 to 1990. Yeah, so Jose Canseco probably broke up his marriage. Yeah. Come on out, let's get some pussy, man. <laughs> uh, Jackson with steroids. Yeah. yeah. McGuire's like, all right! Yeah, let's fucking <laughs> get all horned up. That, that is, probably is why that's like a, Yeah. Because Jose Canseco, we haven't mentioned it. One of the things he talks about when he talks about steroids, there's a lot of implication that it will help you fuck better. Oh, he doesn't even imply it. He says it out loud. Yeah. He says it makes you better at sex. So he got Mark McGuire all hopped up on steroids and ruined his marriage. Yeah. Horny fuck juice going right in that ass. <laughs> it means a lot of different stuff. But in 88, he didn't want to fuck. What an idiot. It's like, well, his marriage was there. Yeah. But yeah. I do like, he didn't want to go out to the clubs with us because he wasn't the best looking guy. <laughs> I do love that because he does talk, he talks about uh, his marriage to Esther as well. And it's so funny because he flip flops on being like, oh, I was faithful and then like not being faithful at all. Like about being like, oh, I did love her a lot. Right. You know? And then, I don't know, it's, it's so fascinating. Just the multiple chapters being it, so insanely different. Yeah. And it. He talks a lot in the chapter about the Bash brothers about there's a lot of questioning why Mark McGuire didn't get the same media scrutiny that Jose Canseco did. And you out trying to fuck all night, Jose. <laughs> yeah. And then what's crazy is he follows that up with something we've been mentioning this whole fucking time, which is the car chapter. Oh. <sighs> Put this sweet, sweet car chapter into my veins. This is one of my favorite chapters of anything I've ever read. It's maybe three, four pages. Yeah, no, it's a little bit more than that. It, it It's thicker than I expected it to short. be to just be about cars. Right. And it comes in, the, I shit you not, hot on the heels of him being like, why the media pay so much attention to me? Is it because I'm Cuban? And then it's like, I've always loved cars. <laughs> And it's like, that's a bold question to ask and then follow it up with a story about you driving 200 miles an hour on a freeway in Arizona and the police let you go. Yeah. Not only let you go, but ask if they can drive your car. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, although if I'm going to find out that there's cops not doing their job, it's probably going to be in Arizona. Yeah, but probably not with people of color. Yeah. Yeah, but. Famous people of color is a very different situation. And see, that's the thing. I think Eddie Murphy had talked about that. Or maybe it was Chappelle. It's like being rich and black is just being like being white. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for him talking about Mark McGuire getting more attention just because. And he does even say sometimes, oh, Mark was a good boy and I was a bad boy. So why, why did they give me all the attention? He was because you're the bad boy. You're a squeaky wheel, dude. Yeah. And if you're out driving 
one of your 12 cars 200 miles an hour with your wife in the car. I think it's like, wasn't the title like my first Lambo or something yeah. like that? It was the title of my the first chapter. Lamborghini. And he talks a lot. Like, I like, though, how he says his wife or girlfriend at the time convinces him to outrun the cops. Right. She's like, just fucking gun it. And then he pulls up to a blockade. Yeah. Which that was fast. Well, he probably did gun it for a while. And then the cop just radioed ahead and was like, hey, other cops. Hey, other if cops. you see Jose Canseco driving a Lamborghini 200 yeah. miles an yeah. hour. If you see a yellow Batmobile coming <laughs> at you, just set up a. But it With is the fun. world's biggest baseball player inside. So he t- let him go. By the way, do you follow him on Twitter? No. He went on a rant about some car salesman in Florida that like he was like a robber and a scammer. And it was, I was just like, oh, no. Amazing. What happened? But yeah, yeah. So he, he talks about having 12 cars. He talks about how like a girl came to meet him, I think when he was uh, with Texas maybe or something like that. And they were like, okay, well, take one of the cars and go to the... Right. Go there. And he's like, she was like, I don't know how to do that. And the housekeeper or something was just yeah. like, figure it out. Like she drove a Porsche there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was his first sports car was a Porsche and he sold it to Ivan Rodriguez. Yeah. And he wishes he kept it. Right. But the real one comes that in 1990, the story is so great because in 1990, he and Frank Thomas are leaving a baseball card show. Right. And Frank Thomas was a rookie at the time. He'd been drafted by the white Sox, and, uh, Jose Canseco almost killed him. And, and Frank Thomas was the shit. He in was. 1990. His, and he still is now, thanks to that men's supplement he e- takes. Eugenics, Eugen- or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uncomfortable <laughs> name. Nugenics, I believe, is what it's called. Nugenics, yeah. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Altgenics. Yeah, right? So he puts Frank Thomas in the front seat, and Frank Thomas is like, this is a pretty nice car. And Jose's like, yeah, watch. And then he proceeds to almost <laughs> kill Frank Thomas. They, like, spin out. And he's like, we like almost went off a cliff, which like, if you're going to take it that fast, don't do it on a fucking mountain road. Yeah. Like, have you not seen any movie? Right. Because he was talking about how like with a Lamborghini, the way they're built, the faster you go, the more it presses you. Yeah. It's got a wide center of gravity. Yeah. So it actually like the faster you go, it's actually theoretically the safer. Right. It is uh, as far as like handling and stuff like that, which it. Doesn't sound 100%. I bet driving 100 miles an hour is safer than driving 200 miles an hour. Sure. Under any circumstances in any car. But basically, Frank Thomas sees a turn sign (laughs) that Jose does not see and uh, is like, "Uh, Jose, well, we're going to die. Oh, help. And then fucking Jose is like, oh, shit. And they fucking peel out out and just were almost on the news. But instead, it was just the ending the cherry on a perfect Sunday of a chapter. <laughs> it's such a crazy chapter to put in the middle of questioning why you got so much more media scrutiny yeah. than you Mark an- McGuire. You answered your own question. Yeah. Even if those two incidents didn't make the news, they're still your answer because there are other incidents making the fucking news. If you're out doing shit like that. Yeah. And it's just like, why do people give me a hard time? You almost killed the number one draft pick. <laughs> Like, you almost killed Frank Thomas. Like you're known for being a guy who's caught speeding. You have been arrested for spousal abuse, which was a fascinating story from right. his perspective. Because I, for years, thought he just beat the shit out of his wife. That's right. what I thought. I thought he just beat the shit out of his wife. It fits the narrative Checks of all what I was expecting. And yet, when he explains it, basically they were 
in a fight in separate cars next to each other. And during the fight, he says he kind of like drifted into her and that's what got him arrested. That's battery. And the way he explains it, he's like, it was an accident. No, it was. You don't just accidentally drift into I someone. Mean, but also, though, if you're looking at somebody and yelling at them as you're driving, like if you're looking to the side, yeah. like you're not looking at the lines which like, it's believable that this happened i'm not saying that that is what happened well even or at isn't. best it's car slaughter like yeah so the fact that he gets arrested for battery like manslaughter yeah i guess i said car slaughter go on i was there he gets arrested for battery and he's like i honestly think that's unfair and i wasn't there for the intent whether it was an accident or whether he just fucking smacked into her car yeah but like unless you're going 150 miles an hour that's not gonna kill someone you're hitting your own car true but also the implications that your currently estranging husband would smash a car into you yeah or even be chasing you on through the streets in a separate car yelling at you like that's yeah if if a person's driving away let them drive away so i'm of two different mindsets on this and it all depends on what information i cannot have which is was this you guys were yelling at each other and you were looking over and you drifted into your own car or was this an intimidation factor frustration fucking yeah in which the way he talks about cars i don't know i can't speculate i am speculating and, yeah. and i believe some of what he's saying here because later on when he talks about the actual woman really like grabs the girl by the hair he's like yeah she wasn't paying attention to me. She wasn't listening. I fucking grabbed her by the hair and went to jail for it. And I deserve that. Yeah. So in that regard. Well, that story leads me to believe that what probably happened on the street wasn't just because he's honest in that situation. Yeah, that's fair. There might be mitigating. So like maybe he gets along. Maybe he doesn't get along with the girl involved in the car incident. And he wants to paint that more as, oh, she's just. Yeah. Lying on me. And maybe he's like talked to the other person and worked things out and is like, yeah. Well, he says like even when he got arrested, his wife was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Like he's like, even she was like, that's not the case. So I guess it also could happen to be like where. And I understand that abused women will oftentimes be like, no, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like So there's that. that but, it's just one of those stories where we don't have yeah, it, it honestly in a situation like this, it could go either way. Yeah. In a time when I have gone on record as saying it generally doesn't go either way. Yeah. Like, and it, but this one does kind of have an air of, all right, well, you, you know, it could this could actually be what happened. Yeah, it could be. But also don't chase people with your True. car when they're trying to get it's away from you. different time, Adam. True. So there was a lane for that back then. So we're talking about he's got his career is good. The Bash brothers are in full effect. Things are going well. He's playing a game. He's in the outfield, gets called in, is about to go bat when he is informed. You've been traded. Right. See ya. Yeah. And that's, I think, where we're going to yeah. cap this off is that that Bash brothers era comes to a close. Comes to an abrupt halt. Like a unforeseen and he's like talks about this trade we'll we'll talk about the trade yeah uh, next episode but he does win al mvp in 88 so again all of the oh mcguire got all the attention no one wanted me to succeed i remember you were there are yeah there are there is evidence to the contrary let's put it this way 1989 your card is number one in the score set 
Yeah. Buying boxes of baseball cards. Your card is on the the box. Remember how the boxes of baseball cards, like tops, would right. have examples of the cards? Yeah. Jose Canseco was always a card on there. Yeah. I don't remember seeing McGuire cards on the boxes. No. Mark McGuire's rookie is boring as shit. It's a fucking Olympic team rookie yeah. card. Oh, her. Holding a fucking dorky oh. ass baseball bat a, on his white bread shoulder. I'm a, I'm a teenager. That's the thing, too. Like, fuck Mark McGuire. Like, he did yeah. take steroids and he cheated, too. Yeah, there's like, no moral high ground of Mark McGuire other than yeah. he's not Jose Canseco. So, in that regard, Jose's like, y'all gave McGuire a pretty free pass. But in time, he didn't get a free pass either. Yeah, through Congress. Yeah, through like, Congress. And it also. After the book. It also became kind of a moot point after Barry Bonds broke the record again a couple years later. Yeah. Like at that point, who cares how many home runs Mark McGuire hit in 98? Todd McFarland does. Creator uh, of Spawn, Todd McFarland does because he's bought a lot of those baseballs. Someone bought the Barry Bond. I think Mark. Also Todd McFarland. Are you sure? I thought it was Mark Echo. Todd. Maybe he bought them off of Todd McFarland. Someone bought the Barry Bonds ball and destroyed it, which, come on. He bought the one where he broke the all time home run record. Someone. Oh, bought. okay. Maybe that's a dick move. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I've done whole episodes of various podcasts about how questionable the treatment of Barry Bonds has been. McFarland spent, by the way, $3 million for uh, McGuire's 70th. He paid 500000 for Bonds's 73rd. Huh. Well, so. Barry Bonds is an interesting parallel here because a point I haven't made yet that I think I meant to make earlier is when it comes to baseball, yes, any American institution, there's going to be some inherent racism. But what baseball doesn't like is a jerk. They don't yeah. like a person. And that's what baseball didn't yeah. like about Barry Bonds. Financially, they don't mind a jerk. Right. They will pay a jerk a lot of money. Right. But A-Rod is a good example of that, too. Like, A-Rod is an asshole. Sure. Or at least he comes off as an asshole. Right. Barry Bonds is an asshole. Huge asshole. Huge asshole. And it's funny, though, because you can see how much of that was Willie Mays and Bobby Bonds that turned him into an asshole. Yeah. They were like, this, these racist motherfuckers are coming after you. Right. They, Willie so that's Mays, the thing. Like, yeah. there's something to be said for him being an asshole. Yeah. And there's something to be said for sports writers being able to overcome their opinions about Barry Bonds as a person and recognizing his achievements as a player and voting him into the Hall of Fame. But also we're talking about baseball and a lot of people have to die before baseball is going to change in that way. Yeah. Because it's a sport that values tradition and it values the opinions of people who report and cover baseball. A lot of what happens in baseball is voted on by sports writers. Yeah. And if you spent your career being a dick to sports writers, yeah. well, Barry they're going to take it out on you when it comes time to vote. That He hates sports writers. Yeah. Like, those were his number one. And it that actually should, like anyone hearing me say that, that should make those sports writers look bad. They're in the wrong in that situation. Yeah. Because Barry Bonds' personality doesn't Procure actually play into his achievements on the field, but you have to take into account how he treated sports writers when you factor yeah. in that he's not in the hall the of people fame. voting for you are the people that you called scum yeah. for, for years. And it's funny. Cause I read a bonds. I read that bonds book 
And there was a lot of him like trying to be like a good dude and personable. And then they're like, it didn't, it didn't. Yeah. He read right back to being a piece of shit. Yeah. And with Jose Canseco, it probably isn't helping his case to be like, everyone's racist. Why do I get all the attention? Is it because I'm Cuban? It's like, no, it's because you're spinning out your car on the freeway with yeah. Frank Thomas in it. But I will say he was never really an asshole. And he was never an asshole in public. He's yeah. Done, his record of charity work is really. Oh, yeah. Is well, really yeah. Sure. And his like. I mean, Barry Bonds probably is, too. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to. I'd who have knows? To, I'd have to. Citation spot, needed. I'd have, to, <laughs> I'd have to spot check that one a little bit. Because <laughs> while certainly a lot of people will donate money, like donating time is a very different thing. Yeah. And like. I know Kinseiko was actually very big on that, and he used to work with Make-A-Wish. And he was generally, I think, a good enough dude. I think he had some falters. I think there are certainly, as the writing of this book dictates, there's obvious roadblocks that he's hit uh, emotionally. Oh, sure. I'm trying to put this as delicately as I possibly can. He's got daddy issues. Yeah, and I don't want to be ableist either in saying that I think mental health probably falls into there somewhere oh, sure. as well. It's read the book if you can. It's a quick read. It's a quick it's, read. It's a cheap buy on Amazon. Yeah, or I the think library. It, I think it might even be out of print, but you can find copies it of it. It's on not Amazon. on Audible, but you can buy used copies because yeah. I don't think people are holding on. To I think it. I paid like seven dollars for the copies I bought for this. Yeah, and then uh, he did a follow up called Vindicated. That is still in print. Which there it is. Yeah, we'll season to, two. I have to check that out and see season two of. Jose Canseco, us just us about vindicated. Just us talking about his MMA career. Yeah. So that's a sode. That's that an is an episode. Uh, this was a good episode. I liked this one a lot. I was glad we could get into the meat of it. I felt like the last one, as they always tend to be, I think the pilot episodes of these yeah. miniseries are really just like a buildup of where you plan on going and what the early years are like. Right. But this really does cut to the meat of what it was like on the NEAs in that era the Bash Brothers stuff, the fact that he and McGuire weren't close and yet they were fucking in a sharing a stall On posters together and, and injecting yeah. steroids into each other and doing appearances together and yeah. fucking having a, having a move, you know, they had that. Yeah. That they arm. even had a move. Imagine doing that. Imagine like there's acting in that I'm guessing, or it's kayfabe. It's either acting or retroactive saying we were never friends because yeah. He got all the attention for the home runs and everything like that. And Jose got blackballed. Right. Which is a reason to carry a chip on your shoulder. Being essentially told you're being blackballed. Meanwhile, Mark McGuire was being lauded as yeah. the savior of baseball. Yeah. It, yeah. Fucking, there's there's going to be some degree of like, well, I taught him to use steroids. Where's yeah. my credit? You kicked me out for making him better. Yeah. And you're exalting him. So he's right about yeah he's that. right on a lot of this i just i feel like some of his overall characterizations of baseball and what was happening in like the the bat boy story and stuff like that i feel like there probably is a racial degree yeah. or, or element to it but it can be there's exacerbated also by mitigating the fact factors that, that come with the fact that you're playing baseball yeah. well you also never want to admit i was being an asshole right you usually be like oh there was a reason there was some sort of external reason that's not my fault. Yeah. Uh, for that. All right. Well, all right. Tune in next time for an episode of Jose Consecast. We're going to talk about, we're going to get into steroids next time, but the early rumors about his steroid use. Okay, so, yeah, all the stuff that started on early when people are talking about it. And it's funny because 
we'll get, as we'll get into it, he's like, I don't understand why. It's like, because you were using steroids. Because you were using steroids. They just, at the forefront they of called using it. them. Yeah. They, they called nailed it, it like fucking <laughs> Ruth, <laughs> co- Ruth calling a shot. Pointing at his biceps yeah. from the stands. <laughs> and then bashing him with a bat. <laughs> All right. Do we got anything to plug? Uh, yeah, you can check out Tom and Jeff Watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. Edit uh, that out, Brett. Why would you do that to Tom Ryman? I'm doing it to you. Oh. Yeah. That's not nice. Not Tom. Also, the Mint on Card is the second Friday of every month. A beautiful blast from the past on Magnolia in Burbank, California. You can check that out. Uh, we've got some great episodes coming up. Shows. Sure. We call them shows. Uh, how about you, Adam? What do you have to plug? Oh, you know, not much right now. Check out the network, patreon.com slash unpops. And we got some things coming down the pike. Fuck yeah, dude. Follow me on Instagram at Adam Todd Brown, Todd oh. with one D. I'm trying to quit fucking with Twitter. Yeah. Just I get it. I get it. All the worst people in life that I interact with, it usually happens on Twitter. Yeah. I'm at Hey There Jeffro on those. You can follow me on either. It's fine. Yeah. Bye. Bye, bitch. Bye, motherfuckers. Bye.